as you progress in the lessons, they clearly only emphasize the figure skating aspect of it. They really don't emphasize like power and you know, rapid changes of direction so much, which is really what I'm looking for as a, as a non-aggressive, doesn't want to push his kids into hockey parent. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. Daddy! Daddy, where are you? All right, Dr. Harmon, we're back for hockey night in Canada. He shoots, he scores. <laughs> I want to be the first to get to say that on the podcast because I, I knew at some point one of us would have to say that or get to say that. Yes, I can't wait. I can't wait for this discussion about being a hockey dad, finally, after all these years. <laughs> and I imagine in my mind that this will probably touch on just being a sports parent in general because I think... <laughs> no, uh, no, absolutely not. Is... It's a very concentrated <laughs> dose of hockey. We're not talking about any of those other sports. They're not important today. Okay, awesome. I can't wait. Uh, although I'm expecting you to uh, to lead the way on this because uh, my time as a hockey dad, I think, is, is essentially over. That's it? It was That was fast. Yeah, well, my son did hockey for, I think, two, maybe three years. And then right. uh, we shuttered it during COVID and we have not gone back. And I don't, I haven't seen like a lot of desire to go back on his part or on the part of my wallet. <laughs> All right. Now, before we talk about hockey, I have to say that Lately, maybe it's because of hockey and all these activities we're doing with the kids, I am just wiped out. And I, to the point where I actually started to question my own health. I was like, is this normal for me to feel this tired at the end of a workday? It was, <laughs> I'm getting to this point where around 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm just getting going. I, I just want to lie down. If I happen to close my eyes, I'll pass out. There's been a couple of days where I pick up the kids, I come home and instead of getting on them to do some activity or, you know, helping them with their homework, I just sit on the couch for a bit just to rest my eyelids. And next thing you know, I wake up 45 minutes later, groggy and grouchy. And I was thinking about it. Did I feel this way at the end of a workday 10 years ago, 12 years ago? I was trying to think back to like, you know, I've worked in other medical clinics and when I used to come home, was I this spent at the end of a workday? You know, when I was 18, I used to go to the bar and I'd come back at three in the morning and I'd be ready to go the next day and I'm feeling tired now is that usual is that normal I, I wonder because I'm not as energetic as I was when I was young am I something wrong with me <laughs> well I don't know so is it the, the thing that when you're when you're hit 44 45 I'm gonna keep the number ambiguous to keep people guessing how old I really am 46 at one of these magic numbers that suddenly your body just shudders everything and says, you know, this is the downslope. Get ready, man. Like, that's what it feels like. Uh, well, you know what? Actually, I think if you are feeling more fatigued and stuff than usual, you shouldn't ignore it and assume that it's just because you're, you're just getting old. Because <laughs> um, I think that's how do, things do get missed. But I have heard that from other people. I remember, because in the emergency department, it's a lot of shift workers, right? And I remember one mm -hmm. guy telling me, uh, you know, when I hit 35, then that's when the shift work like really caught up with me and I just couldn't do it anymore. And I felt like couldn't recover from nights and stuff like that. Right. I'm like, 
that's almost 10 years ago for me. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep pushing through. I, yeah. I had this thing where sometimes I take on a medical student or I have a resident with me for the afternoon. And those days are a little bit more busy. You know, I'm kind of running around the office. I got to double check on what someone else is doing while seeing my own patients. I can handle it. But there was like a few times, like maybe two or three years ago when I started to take on two residents or have two medical students for the afternoon. And now it just suddenly becomes like a gong show in the yeah. office, right? Like now I'm suddenly running between three different rooms and there's things you know going on at all moments. And by the end of those days, I was completely exhausted and frazzled. Yeah. The problem is this week I had a day where it was just me. There was no other learner. It's just me in the office. I get to four o'clock and I feel that same sense of, bewilderment and starvation <laughs> and just generalized irritability as if I had, had two learners with me, but I had nobody with me. And then that's when I start to really think that either I'm getting really old and I can't handle this anymore, or I need to go to bed on time. Right. <laughs> which, which as I thought about it made sense, like this going to bed after 12 o'clock and having to be up right at seven is a bad scene. Uh, right. Yeah. And I could have told you that. <laughs> I, I know that you don't sleep enough because I, I get text messages from you like uh, sometimes like at 1130 at night. And I'm like, I'm already in bed. <laughs> and you sound like you're just getting started. I'm just send. I have to send out the messages because they're going to forget by the next day if I don't send it out right away. Right. That's what happens when you're sleep deprived. You have to do everything at the moment of because you're you're you got one foot into Alzheimer's. Right. You're functioning almost like a demented person. <laughs> I know there's been different things published even just over the last two years about what the optimal amount of sleep is for an adult and i think uh i actually heard seven and a half hours is being put out there yeah but i'd say you should be shooting for eight shoot for eight hours well uh you know we this this story actually ties in to our topic of today this business of going to bed on time but i will get there at the end of the episode let let us start talking a little bit about hockey because it's fall thanksgiving has passed and for parents around toronto and canada once you pass Thanksgiving, it's the official start of kids' hockey season. I, I didn't really know that, but apparently that's a thing, right? Like a lot of these like hockey programs you sign your kids up for, they don't start right away in September. I guess it takes time for the ice to harden on these indoor rinks. But once you hit the weekend after Thanksgiving, you get the equipment out of the closet and it's time to go. Uh, it actually starts earlier in Ottawa, I gotta say. Ah. You know, starting <laughs> that those first couple weeks of September, it's sort outs and uh, that alone is uh, by the time you're done that, you're exhausted. You're like, all right, what? There's a whole season ahead? We just sort out what team the kids are going to be on? You got to go for all these different uh, like tryouts and practices. And then, right. they, and then at the end of it, they say, okay, yeah, yeah, I think we've narrowed the list down. You know, come back, we'll do another like play on Sunday and, uh, and see. Oh, it's a, it's a complete all-encompassing culture of its own, which is why I think it's fun to talk about. And hopefully we can talk about it more as the season goes on and see what happens. But basically, if you had listened to the one of the early episodes of Medical Dads back in season one, I talked about how as a kid, I always wanted to play hockey. My parents wouldn't let me play hockey because I'm Chinese. They didn't. They actually said that, you know, you're Chinese, you're small, you're going to get killed out there. Right. Yeah. And I think they thought that I was asking them to join the NHL, right? <laughs> they had this idea that I'd enter the league and then there would be like goons skating around and then you would get, you would get your skull crushed in. And yeah. I, th I asked them for at least two or three years. This started in a, maybe in the third grade when I was really obsessed with hockey and went until about the fifth or sixth grade. 
And my parents just would never let me join. And finally, there was one year they said, you can join. And I said, great, I want to be the goalie because that was my thing. Yeah. I didn't just want to play. I want to be the goalie. And they said, no way. You can only play if you're going to be a forward or a defenseman. And then I said, nope, I don't want to do that. Right? I got duped. Right? That's the classic <laughs> kid problem. When your parents don't give you exactly what you want, yeah. you throw the whole... What is it? Bath water out with the basin or whatever it is. You, th you throw the baby out with the bath water. <laughs> so then, so I never got to play, right? Yeah. And and in hindsight, I'm like, I probably wouldn't have made a great goalie anyway. I'm like pretty small, and I, I have some patients who are who play goal, and they're always complaining that they can't hear clearly or their ears ring all the time. This is the undermining voice of your parents, right? <laughs> You're like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't have been good. Too small, too weak, just like my mom said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah very, so i never but i always wanted to play right so yeah. i always wanted to play and it's been this thorn in my side for all these years so during the pandemic you know thank goodness for the pandemic right it, all the things it did to destroy the world but one thing it did do was de it destroyed national sports which is this chain of sports equipment stores in canada okay right? and so some point in the first year of the pandemic they said national sports center has gone bankrupt we're closing we're gonna we're gonna discount all the stuff in the store sounds so like a good news story for everybody involved <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so every day medical dad number two here is sitting at his computer thinking first i was like you know i'll buy some stuff for the pandemic for the kids to play with so we got a because we have the, no phys ed now so dad needs his own volleyball we got like four more basketballs a bunch of soccer balls i got cones we could do drills in the backyard then i started to think you know what as because every couple of weeks the price would drop more like initially everything in the store was 30 percent off then everything became 50 percent off right so I was like, you know what? This could be the chance. I could get all the hockey equipment I need at 50% off as yeah. for an adult. And it, I may never play hockey for all we know, but you know, I only spent 50% as much money as I would have otherwise during a regular year. And for all we know, we may never have hockey again because <laughs> the world could be wiped out. So what difference does it make? I'll just get the equipment. Right? You know, I thought this story was going to go in a different direction. I thought you were going to talk about how kids equipment was like super cheap <laughs> but it fit you so that's how you got into hockey no i i had, I had this whole concept that i'm not going to force my kids to do things that they don't want to do or yeah. you know force them on something just because i want them to do it right yeah. and this was this was early in the pandemic when i still had this mindset because that changed as we got really bored and i started to say you know we can't just be lying around reading comics all day right if we left the kids up to decide what they want to do yeah. they would just be reading smurfs over and over again like that's not a life <laughs> so oh my gosh dave shu telling people that you can't just spend all day reading comics it's like i don't even know you anymore <laughs> <laughs> i've never spent all day reading comics i've always considered comics to be part of a well-balanced lifestyle <laughs> that's true i can actually verify that <laughs> <laughs> so then so then i got this equipment right and then it ended up being this giant bag that sits behind me, right? It's sitting behind me, and I, I, I still didn't really get to use it, but I owned everything at this point. I could dress for a game, right? You always hear these stories about, like, an NHL team suddenly, you know, their goalie got injured, and they have to pull in, like, a random goalie from, like, a beer league to, pl to start. I actually had all the equipment I needed, not to play goal, but just to be a regular forward or a defenseman. And, and then that sale just kept going. I bought everything at 50% off, and, and then it went down to, like, 70% off. So I didn't even I even ended up with a with an official Toronto Maple Leafs jersey that I, that I didn't even need at that point. <laughs> so I got all this equipment and then I did get to play a little bit cuz during the latter part of the pandemic like the last two winters 
we discovered there's a frozen pond that the neighborhood looks after in our neighborhood. So we started, ta- I started taking the kids out in the morning before school or early in the day on the weekends. This is, and it, and these frozen pond things, I think you can relate to this in Ottawa. Like you can only use the frozen pond when it's like minus 10. So it's like <laughs> at least minus 10 degrees Celsius, maybe minus 20 when you're out there. Yeah. And so I got the kids on the skate. So they actually got to skate quite a bit on the pond and my son at that time was like three or four got him on the ice so he kind of learned on his own how to skate towards the end of last year i was like you know what let's get them into skating lessons because my son he could kind of skate but he couldn't stop he was one of those pin- pinball skaters right they they just bounce around the ice bouncing off the walls they can only stop if they collide into something else yeah and my daughter had taken a bit of lessons before the pandemic so she was a bit better off so we put them into figure skating lessons actually it wasn't figure skating it was it's skating lessons run by a figure skating club right but as you progress in the lessons they clearly only emphasize the figure skating aspect of it they really don't emphasize like power and you know rapid changes of direction so much which is really what i'm looking for as a as a non-aggressive doesn't want to push his kids into hockey parent (laughs) and and so we had so we had this thing where the kids are doing these skating lessons and they like it, right? Like they never complain about it. it seems fun. And the thing is my daughter's taking the lessons and we have her in hockey skates because that was the hand-me-downs that we had gotten from some cousins, right? Okay. So I didn't actually go around looking to make sure that she wears hockey skates, but this is what she's wearing. And at some point I think in the summer one of the coaches in order to drum up business, they're always telling you like, "Oh, your your kid has potential." Like she should really get a pair of figure skates and try that out. So we're like, okay, fine. She's been doing, she's been doing these figure skating esque lessons, wearing hockey skates for a couple of years. So let's just put her in the figure skates and see if there's something there. Okay. So she tries the figure skates, hates it, right? I guess it's a completely different skating experience. I've never worn figure skates before, but listening to her talk, about, she's like, this is terrible. Like suddenly she looked like she had regressed like 18 months. You know, <laughs> so the toe pick, do the toe pick throwing her off. <laughs> Yeah, the whole thing is throwing her off, right? Like when she had just started skating, she used to be really stiff on the ice. Like for some reason, her elbows would be like locked and she'd be like a gingerbread man skating. And she had reverted back to this. My wife and I were like, oh man, what is going on? And then she's like, give me my hockey skates. I want the hockey skates back. And then her brother is kind of like laughing about this. Yeah. And he's in the hockey skates. So then when we get into this winter, I was like, you know what? We should actually just do some team sports. Let's just sign him up for hockey. Just try it out as a Canadian parent and a, and a Canadian kid. Just one time, one of the shoes is going to get to play hockey, and then I can lay this stupid you know, issue in, my, in the back of my mind to rest once and for all, right? So now there's no, there's no more national sports. I had to go to Canadian Tire and buy actual equipment. But for children, it's not that expensive. You can get like a set for like $100 or, or whatever, right? Yeah. So we get it, we get him in and Thanksgiving just passed. So last week was like the first week to get him on the ice. So this is a huge production, right? Like we, we luckily we have a bit of time on Saturday morning. So we get to the rink, we get him dressed. It's like this total feel good immigrant Chinese, you know, I'm finally becoming truly Canadian moment, right? We yeah. get your son wrapped up in all these pads and you head out on the ice with all the other Korean and Chinese kids that are playing at this arena. This is what I discovered, right? Most of the kids playing hockey for some reason are Asian now. Uh, but because you, because this is an Asian like neighborhood that you're living in, right? I guess so. I guess so. I mean, it doesn't feel super Asian when I'm actually living there except when I go to the rink for leisure skate or when I take my kid to the hockey class or when I take the kids to the figure skating. It's like figure skating for sure is like 99% 
Asian for whatever reason. I don't right. I don't really understand why. Yeah. Except then when I think about it, all the champion figure skaters do tend to come from these Eastern Bloc communist countries or Korea and places like that. So I guess maybe the Asian physique kind of fits skating, you know, or maybe it just fits the Asian parent mentality that you can't, you're not big enough to play anything really aggressive. Why don't you go do this activity that seems kind of safe and involves mindless rote repetition of stuff? Very, I don't know. It's not a team sport either, right? You don't, you don't have to cooperate with other people unless right, you're doing right. doubles, I guess. It, right, it kind of fits, right? So then... It's called pairs. It's not called doubles. They're not playing tennis on the ice. <laughs> well, sorry, I'm not updated on the lingo. Didn't realize exactly. you were such a fan. <laughs> if you were Asian, you would know the difference. All right. Now I know there so, was Michelle so Kwan, doing... wasn't she? Was a big guy. Uh, yeah, she was the big one, right? So then, so then, so then we got him on the ice. He seems to like it. It's been one week. He's at, he actually came out of it and started saying to me like, "When's the next lesson?" Right. Like, and then we got to midweek. He's like, is this like two more days until hockey? And I'm, he's never asked me about this yeah. for anything else. Right. He's never asked me when the next figure skating lesson is going to be. <laughs> when is the next time we're going to practice piano? Like, I've never heard that question. Right. Yeah. So there's a part of me that I have to say, it's kind of cool to live vicariously through your kids to some degree. <laughs> and we can lay this thing to rest. You know, I can bury that hatchet with my parents and let the let the guy play hockey. And I watched him play. Right. Yeah. It's, and OK, he's pretty small. He's six. Right. So he's playing hockey and all the kids that are doing, they're just bumbling around trying to get the puck, you know, and they do some exercise where they're sliding onto the ice. Yeah. This thing doesn't seem that dangerous. All right. My parents made it seem like, you know, I was going to get run into by like Ty Domi or Bob Probert like that. <laughs> it's not that dangerous. If I had been allowed to play, it wouldn't have been that scary. Well, certainly the fact that you are uh living out your uh, failed dreams through your child is is the first major step towards becoming a true hockey dad or hockey parent. <laughs> so congratulations, yes. you, you're official now. It, it was weird. It was like, it was even these mundane things like tying his skates. I just felt so proud of being Canadian at that moment that yeah. this was like a milestone. Like I didn't, it didn't bother me that my fingers are freezing or I forgot to wear a coat while I'm watching. I was just like, I'm here. I'm a Canadian hockey dad. This is it, right? This is this this is what Stu did for three years. I gotta do this. Well, uh, to add some sprinkle of medical flavor to this, I can tell you that when I when it comes to the big injuries, it's not the hockey at this level where you're seeing that where the kids are young. Because um, mm. even if you're a if you take the sort of the sportiest six year old and compare it to the to the wimpiest six year old. The sportiest kid still isn't usually the kid who's like really massive and uh, and muscular and and with a lot right. of weight and mass. Uh, there there are always some kids who are just kind of big kids on the ice, but um, it's not until well, it's around the time when you start having kids going through puberty, where mm -hmm. you know uh, some kids at eleven uh, look like a completely different uh, entity than <laughs> uh, than other kids when they're eleven going on twelve or. Eight. You know, you have a yeah. kid who, who's a, a slow developing 11 year old, but who loves the sport playing against somebody who is a, a fast developing 12 year old who, who looks like a 16 year old. That's where mm -hmm. you're getting the, uh, the really big injuries coming to the emergency environment. So maybe my parents were on to that at that point, because I was asking them to play when I was older than my son. I wasn't in first grade asking my kids to play, uh, asking my parents to play. This is when you were sort of in high school and all the other kids had been well <laughs> on the way to puberty and you're, you're still wearing your I still look underwears. the way I do today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so anyways, so that we got him on the ice. Now, before we could get him on the ice, 
it's not that easy to be a hockey parent anymore, right? You don't just sign your kid up for hockey and then you and you take them on the first day, which is the way all the other things work in Canada, right? Like I signed my kids up for skating, I paid the bill and then they went. And I signed my kids up for swimming, paid the bill and I went. Yeah. But for hockey, there was this whole rigmarole involved, which I'd never seen before. Very bizarre, quite frankly. They said, you can't start the season unless the parent does this one hour online multimedia slideshow that you have to watch yes. called Respect in Sport. Yes, I, right. I remember this. Now, I don't know. I feel like, first of all, this is a shameless plug, but I also do a podcast called The Sports Literati where I read a sports book with one of my friends every month, right? I, and in my lifetime, I've probably read like 5,000 sports books, <laughs> right? Watched like 20,000 hours of sports on television, not to mention played, you know, Lord knows how many hours of sports, but not hockey. And, you know, he coached my daughter's school basketball team. Like I've done all these sports things and now I'm suddenly told I have to watch respect in sports. And yeah. I said, you know what? I'm going to be a good hockey dad. I'm going to do it. But there's part of me that thinks, why is this necessary? <laughs> what did parents do before us that was so bad that now every parent has to sit through this rigmarole in order for your kids to do drills on the ice? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I think those things people were doing bad are outlined in the video because, as I recall, it's a lot of stuff about uh, not destroying your child's uh, self-esteem and psyche uh, and not right. pushing them too hard, right? Right. It was almost the complete opposite of the Chinese-Canadian parenting experience, <laughs> right? Like, if you just took out the part about hockey and just said that, that respect in life as a parent, like if that was the documentary and it was the same program, yeah. it would just be countered to all the stuff that, you know— what do you mean you got too wrong on your math test? What What do you mean you're not the top in your class this semester? Right? Like there was, all, it was just like it, they they instructed you to say something like, "I love watching you play." Right? I cannot say that my dad has ever used the word "love" in his life, whether addressing me or his wife. I think he's addressed it maybe when addressing the Chinese Communist Party, right? But that's the extent of it. Well, you have to understand why they need a video. Think about it this way. So normal, well, I should say normal, but your typical traditional North American or Canadian parent right, does not have the same mindset or approach to school and academics as your stereotypical Asian parent, right? Or especially your first generation or new, new right. immigrant uh, Asian parent, right? Um, but imagine that on the ice, on hockey, they all approached hockey the way <laughs> uh, Asian parent approaches academics. Now, on top of that, imagine that so now we're using this metaphor of academics, right? Your parents send you to school, and then when you come home, they give you all the criticism and they rag on you, and, but they weren't there when you were at school. Imagine <laughs> what it would be like if a Asian parents went to school and sat on the sidelines next to the classroom while the teachers <laughs> taught their kids. They would have to make a video for those Asian parents telling them what they I, can and can't do. I, I know what that's like. That's called Asian violin lessons, right? Yeah. That's, what, that's what that is. There should be a video for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so the video for parents who have not seen it, it's, it's actually a series of videos with slides and like a, a bunch of commentary does talk about how parents should treat their kids. That's part of the video. 
But the video keeps going. It basically encompasses all of life, right? It started talking about issues of racism, inclusivity, right? I was just like, okay, that's cool. Like, we got we to gotta respect everyone. Everyone gets to be on the ice. And the video intentionally made all the players come from different backgrounds. I was like, okay, there's a cartoon here. And that's, this, that's definitely a, an Asian dude in that scene, right? <laughs> they really wanted to highlight it. Oh, there's, the, there's an Indian person. Like, they got the Southeast Asians covered. Like, they're really trying to hit all the categories. Yeah. And then as you keep watching the video, it started talking about all the things that could go wrong with your children. And then it, it got into sexual assault as a thing, right? Like one of the parts of the video was like, you know, one of the players spent the night at the coach's house. What do you do if you find out about this as a parent? Right. I don't even remember and that part of the video. Yeah. I, well, th maybe it's a newer part of the video. Right. Yeah. And, and I was like, whoa, this is intense. Like these, these are, these, these things are freaking me out. Maybe like is hockey that crazy that we have to like be this careful. And in truth it is, you know, like As there are discovered with the, yeah, all we the have, stuff going on with hockey Canada. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's an even, even the recent stuff, and the stuff from the last few years, a bunch of, you know, well-known professional hockey players came out and talked about how they had been abused by their coaches as kids, yeah. taken advantage of. These things happen. So these videos are a response to that. Yeah. And which is all fine and good. I love the concept that we make this video and let's educate parents and let's educate parents about everything. Make the, us better human beings, except there's a bit of a hypocrisy going on here given what we know about Hockey Canada today. That, that is the thing that really galled me, that, that this organization had the gall to make me spend an hour of my time doing <laughs> this garbage when they, in fact, are probably the most corrupt organization in all of Canada. <laughs> well, certainly when it comes to uh, protecting people from sexual assault, although uh, all the stuff that's coming out with Hockey Canada now is around uh, how these high-level athletes are sexually assaulting other people who aren't playing hockey. Right. Um, right, right. So that's what they, I guess that's what they did as an organization. Like, you know, we got to stamp out sexual abuse and these type of issues within the organization. So that we're all <laughs> pulling in the same direction when it comes to sexually assaulting people outside of the organization. <laughs> so to put this in perspective, for people who don't follow Hockey Canada and, and all the Americans out there who have no idea what we're talking about, a couple of years ago, after the World Junior Championships, the Canadian team won the gold medal. And they decided to host like a big banquet in the summer for these players. So they regathered the players in London, Ontario for this big banquet. And you know what happens when you put a bunch of 20 year old guys in a room together who are all jocks, right? Next, you know, the booze is flowing. And then they ended it up, they ended up as a group sexually assaulting a female. And then she ends up complaining to Hockey Canada about what happened. And then I believe hockey Canada kind of makes the story disappear right this is this these stories always turn out this way where like some big institution like the medical association gets accused of one of their members gets accused of something and next thing you know they're busy trying to make this thing disappear because they don't want it to look bad yeah but the crazy part of it is that as this thing started getting brought to light and everyone's looking at hockey Canada and thinking well, you know what kind of organization is this well how could they cover this up like we should be feeling that we should be protecting women and standing up for women's rights and be against sexual assault. It comes out that Hockey Canada, every time your son and my son signed up for their hockey lessons, we out of their fee, like the administrative fee that goes to the league or the club that we're joining, a few dollars of that goes to Hockey Canada. And they set aside a few dollars of that to go into this slush fund that's reserved just to pay out settlements to people who are making these kind of accusations. That's right. And and so I'm not just watching the video. I'm actually indirectly paying money 
into this fund to cover all this stuff up that I'm watching the video for. I don't understand. Well, you didn't have to pay for the, pay to watch the video, did you? You just have to pay to have your I, kid in hockey. Yeah, you have to pay to have your kid in hockey. But this whole thing is a giant shenanigan, and it just leaves you feeling grimy at the end of the day. And then, I don't know, at least I could say that this scandal happened, and then now they're saying the money that my son and I are sending to the, to the club <laughs> is not going into this fund, but you <laughs> contributed to that fund, <laughs> Dr. Harmon. <laughs> and I even saw a headline today uh, revealing that it turns out at a certain point, Hockey Canada was... Uh, hiding how much money was in that fund. Like they had this fund and they were re redirecting the money to look like it was a different fund so that all these victims out there wouldn't know like how much that it's worth it to try to sue. Uh, that, that the victims would, would uh, accept lower payouts because they would, if they did the research to try to find out about this fund, it would look like there was less money in the fund. It, it is just appalling at so many levels. It, and, and, I I've, I've I mean I know of guys who've played a lot of hockey and then I can imagine what the jock culture of being a dude on these teams is like. I have no interest in my children becoming like that or or anyone becoming like that quite frankly. And I I feel like hockey would be a fun thing that you could play when you're a little kid, but as you get older, getting into that chasing the dream and becoming, you know, a world champion blah blah. This seems to come with a lot of baggage that is just not necessary. Yeah, I wouldn't even specifically sir look at it from the point of view of of jock culture and sort of the stereotype of what jocks are like but just the fact that you have this thing where uh there's these huge power differentials set up in the way these organizations run um mm. and where these hockey teams run and you have this element of kids who this is their dream they love this thing so much they want to do it and people have power over when they whether they can do it or not or get accepted into the team or not uh that in itself is just uh like a huge opportunity for abuse. And I think mm -hmm. it wouldn't be that different if there was some kind of club that was run for uh, video game elites, right? If there was some club that's like, if you join this club, then we're giving you the promise that by the end of it, uh, you could potentially play video games for a living. Uh, so many kids, there's so many kids out there who would do anything for that dream that if the person running it decided, yeah, and I'm going to use the opportunity to indulge my pervious instincts, uh, these kids would be susceptible. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's terrible situation. I don't know what the solution is, but I think as parents, we should just make sure we're aware and understand the hypocrisy that we're signing ourselves up for. Yeah. I, I recall when I was young, I didn't play hockey, but hearing some of the stories that some of my friends in hockey were talking about, this idea of having to go through some kind of initiation or like hazing when you first started, this is just so horrendous and always had some was bizarre, like a homoerotic aspect to it. <laughs> Which probably back then the teams were not mixed teams. So I bet if it's happening now, it's not necessarily homoerotic. It's just, you know, like <laughs> now, sexual in nature, period. Yeah, I mean, and that happens in a lot of team sports. It actually happened to some degree when we were in medical school. Do you remember the hazing when we were in medical school? I yeah. uh, <laughs> remember that I didn't participate in being hazed. Uh, but I don't recall there being a big sexual aspect to it. You don't remember being forced to kiss the foot of like a higher grade uh, medical student? so that we could enter medical house, the fraternity house on campus for their big party at the end of like orientation week. You don't remember this? No, I didn't do, I didn't attend that party. Oh my goodness. You didn't attend that party. We were all made to attend that party. I was living with a dude who was like, you got to go to this party or you're going to be nobody in medical school. So I dutifully did my Asian duty and walked to the party head down. I did not go to this party. And for years afterwards, people always talked to me about the time we had at this party that I wasn't at. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we had to kiss a guy's foot to get in. It was pretty pretty rancid. And in the grand scheme of all the things that have happened in the Hockey Canada scandal, it's very minor, but <laughs> not pleasant. I remember someone telling me that their hockey team initiation, he's like, it wasn't that bad. All we had to do is, I, I just remember on the bus ride back from one of our games, all the junior guys had to have their hand on the on the balls of the guy next to him on the bus ride home. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's nothing. Uh. <laughs> yeah, maybe just go back to reading comics all day. There's a better way to spend your life, really. So, so your son did hockey, and your daughter, as you've mentioned before, they learned to skate by playing some hockey. That's so right. why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience being a hockey dad? Uh, well, so, you know, I think there's uh, two types of uh, hockey dads, broadly speaking. Uh, there's hockey dads in the sense that, you know, my kids play hockey, so I am initiated to the whole ritual of this taking up all our time, uh, having mm -hmm. like a, a schedule where you don't even know, you can't predict three weeks ahead of time what days you're supposed to be doing practices <laughs> or going to games that uh, they can just tell you the week of like, oh yeah, this weekend there's going to be three games and so cancel your plans. So there's that aspect of being a hockey dad where it's just, yeah, my kid plays hockey. But then there's this other sort of hockey dad that I think is sort of more comparable to when people talk about being a soccer mom or that type of mm -hmm. thing where it's like you're a dad who you really see this as your child's opportunity that they're going to be in the NHL or that they're going to be playing at some very, very high level hockey. And it turns mm -hmm. you into a little bit of a, a type of person or a stereotype of person of, of the way you're going to act and behave because you're so... Uh, bent on making this dream come true uh, for mm -hmm. yourself and maybe for the child, but <laughs> probably for yourself. Right. I remember uh, on our hockey team, the kids, when they play the games, there's no one person who at the beginning of the season is dedicated as the goalie. They want every kid to get, you know, these are all kids who are introductory to hockey. So they want everybody to get like, a sense of, of what it's like to be different roles on the team. And mm -hmm. this is hockey that, you know, they rank it into triple A, B, C, in terms of how good and elite the players are. And at this level, this is a C team, right? So these are the kids who are really meant to be just getting an introduction to hockey and having some fun with it. But you can already see that there's somebody or a few people who their kids probably at a higher skill level, but they got them onto this team so that their kids can have an experience like do dominating, right? Um, <laughs> and I remember this one guy is telling me how, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, the coach said that this week my uh, son had to... Uh, you know, have his turn playing at the goalie. So, you know, I, I was sure to kind of tell him, you know, don't say you enjoy this. You know, you're not going to like it. You're not, goalie's not for you. Because this dad's already decided in his mind that, you know, you don't become a hockey star uh, as a goalie. And, or, or at least my son is meant to be bigger than, than the goalie. And it was mm. like, uh, you know, you're really engendering in your child this idea of now not respecting, like, the teammate who's the goalie, right? You're already setting him up for this idea that there's, a, <laughs> like, a, a level of, uh, value amongst the team or hierarchy mm -hmm. of value amongst the team that, you know, a forward, that's the glory spot. That's where you're really supposed to be. Uh, the goalie, well, whatever, any old schlub could be the goalie. When he's describing, when he's telling his son, I, I was like, oh man, this sounds terrible. It's completely untrue. There are people out there like me who wanted to be the goalie and moreover, a good hot goalie can get you to the Stanley Cup in a way that a forward often cannot, right? That the difference between the Toronto Maple Leafs actually making a run in the playoffs one of these years and not is they don't have that position. That position can can completely change the fortunes of a team. But I digress. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's true. At, at the very minimum, I'm thinking for this guy, even if you want your kid to be the next Wayne Gretzky, the idea that you're not setting him up for this idea of like we value every member on the team. Uh, mm. It was already kind of like 
not well, what I would have envisioned the, the spirit of the hockey is supposed to be. It's it's okay. It's okay because you know what? I can say with 99.99% accuracy in the spirit of Wayne Gretzky that that parent's kid is not going to make it to the NHL, right? That, <laughs> that's the irony of this is that 99.99999% of these kids do not make it. So parents should really stop bothering the kids about this thing. I think part of the problem is that Okay, 1% of people are going to make it to the NHL. Like somebody makes it to the NHL, right? <laughs> and if you look at the parents of those people who make it to the NHL, chances are they engaged in a lot of this behavior that you sort of <laughs> sort of say like, oh, this is not it's not good. So although you're trying to tell everybody, don't put all your eggs in this basket, don't sacrifice everything to be a hockey player, uh, the parents of these kids are like, yeah, of course you have to tell that to most people. But mm-hmm. if everybody follows that and nobody takes the chance of putting all their eggs in that basket, then... That, that nobody's going to make it to the NHL. Uh, <laughs> and so each parent is, who's doing this is thinking, yeah, 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 this is good advice for other people. But for my kid, no, no, I have to do this. I have to push see, them. I have to make see, this. There is a home. better way. There is a better way to do this. You know, you know how they do this in like communist China, right? Like if they identify like at age four or five that your child has potential, and it's not even based on like how good he is on the ice it's based on like they do some measurements of your bones or something right or they look at your physique and they say okay you're gonna go into diving you're gonna go into hockey and then they put you on a bus they say bye to mommy and daddy there's not gonna be no hockey dad right we're gonna ship you off to beijing to the national institute of hockey training and then you're gonna live the rest of your life there that's how they do it in some of these countries and their parents don't have these complexes as a result do you think those parents are the sort of fulfilled version of these hockey parents here that they're like, I trusted the system. They took my kid. And now 30 years later, I, I, you know, I've only met him for the first time, but he is the (laughs) national hockey star. And as a parent, I feel so proud. Like I actually kind of honestly asked that question is the mentality there that those parents do feel that at the end, if their kid makes it big and then everyone else feels like a failure. I have no idea what it feels like for those parents. I mean, maybe not in hockey because they never really make it big in hockey, but some of their children do become like world champions in diving and ping pong and stuff. And I'm sure their parents feel pretty proud of of them. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I I guess it's not the same as as a Tiger Woods, right? Mm. Whose dad can write an autobiography and whose son is going to be giving credit to how my dad like made this happen. I, I feel like maybe for hockey parents, that's part of the thing is that if you could actually drop them off and then pick them up 10 years later as a hockey star, that wouldn't be fulfilling that these parents have to feel like, <laughs> you know, I'm not doing anything meaningful enough with my life, but if my son makes it and I, and that's what I can say I did for 10 years, then my role was valuable. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So there's two types of hockey you can play. Uh, like as parents, you can kind of make the choice. Do you want your kid to go into house league or do you want him to play on like the competitive team that seems to be a difference yeah. so did your were you playing house league then with oh your yeah, son? yeah absolutely we were paying we were playing house league <laughs> <laughs> right because the team part you have to you have to try out and then see if you can make it but even within the house league they're like well our house league like we got an email saying you know if your kid really is into this there is a select team within the house league yeah. that then plays teams from the local other house league so there's all these levels to this thing well certainly for, I mean, I don't understand the exact mechanics of how it all works, to be honest, but for the league that my kid was playing in, you don't just sign up for a team and start right off the bat. First, they have to determine, like, what's the skill level? Because within that league, there's sort of the A, B, and C, like, divisions. Mm. And so okay. 
uh, you know, if you're a parent who wants your kid to go on to be playing elite hockey later, then you know they that they're not going to get there if they're always in the C league. So yeah, so you want right. your kid on the A league. So that in of itself becomes a, a thing for the parents. And so what, what I'm seeing with my kids who, I think they started the C league the first year and then him and all his friends were bumped to the B league the next year. Uh, mm-hmm. These parents already kind of have that inkling that like this is not the roadmap to the NHL. But some of them, <laughs> some of the parents still like are getting caught up in this mentality and, and sort of, <laughs> Yeah, are getting very stressed about whether or not they're going to make it from C to B uh, and whether or not with on the B right. team they're going to uh, like have enough chance to demonstrate their skill. And yet, uh, I can only imagine what it's like when you get to the triple A, like elite <laughs> league. Although I don't have Can't to imagine completely because I see these parents in the emergency department sometimes. <laughs> so then how did you guys actually decide to get into hockey? Because like for us it was because I'd never done it. And it's this thing that we've always kind of wanted to try, but how did you end up getting your son in hockey? Did he come up to you when he was like, you know, seven or six and say, I want to try this or did, I can't imagine you coming up with this idea. I did not. Come but I'm up with thinking this idea. it was your wife that came up with it. Yeah, I'm thinking. You nailed it. I mean, I still had this idea <laughs> in my mind of, you know, I have no desire for my kids to be in hockey. I've still got all these sw- stories swirling around my head about guys <laughs> holding other guys junk and people jacking off onto toast and making the, the last guy eat the toast and all these horror stories I heard from people in hockey. Um, but uh, my wife was the one who came to me saying that, well, I, I don't want to put up a negative stereotype or anything, but it seems to me that often decisions are made because other parents are doing it. Uh, <laughs> and so we got to do it. And in this context, it seemed like a lot of my son's friends were playing hockey. And more importantly, these were friends whose parents or moms my wife was friends with. Uh, and so this led to a big desire for the kid to join hockey and for us to join that hockey mm. culture, hockey family. Uh, right. So that's how we got into it. And then how we got out of it was what realizing that my son just wasn't as invested and keen about all this as as my wife was invested in hanging out with some of these other like <laughs> families. Fair enough, fair enough. It's good that you had the experience and you kind of be able to say you played and and you have some skills that you picked up. So maybe you play again someday. Yeah, and I gotta say it is very cool to see your kid uh, in the hockey uniform and outfits, and they usually take like a <laughs> Uh, a picture at the beginning of the year and so you have this mm. nice school qu- photo quality picture of your kid wearing hockey gear and it, and it looks cool as a parent you feel like ah that's that's cool <laughs> <laughs> kind of sad that that you guys stopped playing but your daughters also got to experience hockey right you've told us that they learned to skate playing hockey but they didn't actually sign up for the full hockey rigmarole after that no there was sort of a a, a little mini hockey camp that was uh funded by the local uh hockey team by the Ottawa Senators that was designed Mm. to just get kids into the sport and playing. And so they did a week long training session. And by the end of the week, their skating skills had like grown exponentially, Mm -hmm. but they didn't really have the desire to, to join the team and play. uh, Ah. I have no regrets about my son's hockey experience. I think it was great. Uh, It certainly got him much more invested in the whole idea of team dynamics and team sports. Uh, Mm. It got him active and out of the house. And I think he does know he can skate great now. And I think mm-hmm. he does have a baseline that later, if he decides he wants to play hockey more at any sort of stage of his life, then now he's got the foundation to do it. Whereas for me, even if tomorrow I woke up really <laughs> dying to play hockey, it would be very hard for me to join any kind of pickup league of people my age because their right. skill level would be way out ahead of mine. Right, right. So this is a good segue into how we're going to end the show. But 
there was one more thing I want to talk about before we get there is this whole business of that everyone that I see at the rink is Asian, right? And and you talk about these hockey parents, and as you're telling these stories, in my mind, I'm visualizing, you know, angry white dad, right? With berailing his kids to get him into the NHL. But actually, what I'm actually seeing in fact is lots of Chinese Canadian parents, Korean Canadian parents, lugging the hockey bag, bringing their kids to the rink, and their kids can play. I'm, I'm watching these kids and I'm thinking, there's so many kids playing this. One of these kids is good, and, and I need to stay alive just to see this. One of these kids is going to be the Jeremy Lin of hockey. There's going to be a moment where, like, the next, like, a star comes out of this system. There's got to be one. Like, we can't all be so scrawny that none of us makes it, right? Like, I see these kids, they got skills, right? Yeah. At some point, they just stop growing or something. So, I'm pinning my hopes on the fact that some guy from northern China. Or Korea, because these guys generally are a bit stockier than the Southerners that my family <laughs> descends from. Yeah. One of these dudes is going to make it, and I'm going to be here to see it. And that'll be the final thing I see in my lifetime. That so To say that I lived the life of being a Canadian, a Canadian <laughs> hockey dad, hockey parent, hockey fan. Well, as long as the uh, cost of becoming a hockey parent is prohibitive uh, and keeps black people out of the sport, then you have a great chance of seeing some Asian stars dominate the NHL in your lifetime. Ah, good, good. So now you were talking about what it's like to go play pickup hockey, right? So this is where we're going to end is that I got all this equipment. And then last year I actually managed to get on the ice near the end, near the time when the pandemic was opening up. You know, one of my friends and I were talking about, and he found a he found a pickup game, so I played in a pickup game one time, and it, and it was unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. Like, I actually do know how to skate a bit. Like, my parents signed me up for all the skating lessons. Yeah. So I can skate backwards and blah, blah, blah. But compared to, like, people who actually play hockey, it's just tomfoolery to be out there <laughs> on the yeah. ice, right? And I remember being on the ice that night and just watching my buddy... They have like an extra, it's not just one extra gear. It's like, I'm stuck in first gear. They're in like fifth gear, yeah. right? They can accelerate. And I, if, if you were to take a photo of me in my, all, in all my brand new equipment, or even like a short YouTube clip of me on the ice by myself, I could look like I know what I'm doing, <laughs> but it's when you start to play said video at full speed, then you start to see that I have no gears, right? This this car is running on an empty tank, right? But it was fun to be out there. And I thought, you know what, now that people are going back and doing all sorts of sports and I have this equipment sitting here. Yeah. I should really just try to play, but it's very hard to find a game. If you, you know, the pickup hockey is not an easy thing for an adult to find. You got to, you got to know someone that knows someone that's in the game so they can invite you. Yeah. And because in, in Toronto hockey is the rink times are all booked up by these kids, right? The kids occupy all the primetime slots. Yeah. All these teams are having practices and tryouts and games. The only time adults can play leisure pickup hockey is like at 9 or 10 o'clock at night or, or heaven forbid, 11 o'clock at night, right? <laughs> yeah. so, so then last weekend, I get the call from like a friend of mine. He's like, you know, pick up hockey tonight. Someone's injured or someone can't make it. Can you come out? And I was like, I, and this is the third time he had asked me this season. The first week I had just gotten my COVID vaccine. I'm like, I'm really, I can't, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm preparing myself for the migraine headache. I, I'm not going out. The second time I was just exhausted. And I thought the third time I better go because if I don't go, they're not going to ask me again. And that'll be the end of the dream. But I was thinking to myself, like it's 11 to 12 o'clock on Saturday night. Right. Yeah. And it's not close to my house. I'm going to have to drive at least 25 minutes each way to get there. And 
you know, you finish hockey at 12 o'clock, you change, you drive home for 25 minutes. It's going to be close to 1 a.m. before you get home. You're probably not going to be able to fall asleep. You're going to be a wreck the next day. Like, is this even worth it? Like, is this dream even worth it? Right. But I thought, you know what? You only live once. Let's just try it. See how it goes. So, so I'm like, okay, I'm in. Right. So that day, that day, that morning was my son's first hockey practice. So we'd, we'd spent an hour at the rink already. And then for whatever reason, I had this idea that, you know what, we're going to take the family to leisure skate tonight at seven o'clock. Right. So me, my wife and the kids, we all get our skates on and we do leisure skate for an hour and we come home at eight, get the kids to bed. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to get ready for my game. This is, this is going to be a third hour I spend in the rink today. Right. And then they have their skating lessons on Sunday. So this is like a crazy weekend where I'm just like in the arenas, yeah. multiple arenas like throughout the day. So I get, so I go to this thing at 11 o'clock at night and first of all this is like a completely chinese hockey game right like all the players are asian right it's like this i don't know how accurate it is because i don't know anyone at this game because the guy i know doesn't actually play he just he told me to go to this thing yeah so it's one of these weird experiences where you show up at a place but you don't know a single person Uh but they're all asian and i suspect most of them had some variation of, you know, their parents wouldn't let them play their story, right? So now as, as adults, you know, we can man up and play against each other at least, right? And some of them are pretty good. I was like on the ice realizing, okay, I, I don't know how to control the puck, right? I can kind of skate to it, but when they throw me a pass, I now need to somehow keep my balance, corral the puck, keep my head up and then start doing something before yeah. people close in on me. I'm like, like, this is not easy to do. Like you actually have to really practice this. Right. But is at the end of the night, I went home. I didn't sleep well. Like, you know, I'm overhydrated. I sweated so much during the game. Then I drank all this water. So then I had to pee multiple times throughout the night. I was a bit of a wreck the next day, but I have to say it was all worth it. It was all worth it. <laughs> Now, this story, combined with what you were describing at the beginning of the podcast about feeling tired all the time, I think the take-home message here is that Dr. Shu needs to get his thyroid checked. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, I would say people watch TV and movies and you get that sense of how in golf, big wigs meet over golf. And uh, if you can play golf and hang out with people, you get deals done and it's a way to get ahead. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, one reason to be playing hockey is that it, there's a bit of that as well in hockey. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say in Canada, uh, I've heard a few stories now of people who they got opportunities through the networking they did playing adults pickup league hockey. In fact, when I was uh, when I was in grad school, the lab that I was working in at the time it could be a bit tricky or hard to get a spot in the lab. And one of the guys in the lab, this guy named uh, Pat DeForge, who was uh, sort of a mentor for me, was telling me the way he got in the lab is uh, he asked one of the he asked the guy who ran the lab, you know, hey, do you need a student in the lab? And the guy's like, what we need is someone who can play hockey on our hockey team. He's like, oh, I'm a goalie. They're like, you're a goalie? You're in. Welcome to the lab. <laughs> well, that, that you know, is a magic word because that story you were telling about how no one wants to be goal, that, that's a thing. Even when you get into adulthood, like usually when you play pickup hockey, everyone chips in their $10 or $5 for the ice time. Yeah. Goalies play for free. That's a universally accepted <laughs> thing. Any poor chump who's willing to strap on the pads and stand there while people shoot pucks at them, they get to play for free. And if only things had gone differently in your childhood, that could have been you. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in Canada, if you want to get ahead in life, I'll play goal anytime anyone <laughs> asks. That's the way. 
Awesome. Well, so some practical advice that uh, fathers can use here on the Medical Dads podcast. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We will we will reconvene at some point and, and talk more about how this hockey story is going. But for now, we will leave it here that son and dad are both playing hockey. Go okay. Canada. Okay, good. I'm looking to forward to part two because I want to spend a whole episode talking about how much hockey equipment stinks and how bad it smells in the <laughs> locker room. So next week. Yeah, that that has to be part two because it hasn't started to smell yet. I've been very diligent about getting it out of the bag right away. <laughs> Where do you show up for your first practice where the like senior boys group has just finished and you have to go into the <laughs> locker room after they come out of it? Oh, oh, things to look forward to. All right. See you later, Dr. Harmon. Have a good week. You too. Bye, folks. <laughs>